HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating pride. We speak to the bakers who created a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the couple behind the Masterpiece Cake Shop Supreme Court case. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Kat Johnson addresses the controversy surrounding Anthony Porosky, Queer Eye's food and wine expert. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. And finally, Hannah Forden speaks with nutrition educator Leah Kurtz about the relationship between veganism and queer identity. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge invisible value systems even greater than sexuality does. Listen to Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E this week, and celebrate pride with HRN. Available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite listening apps. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. It is a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny Brooklyn day here, and uh, it also happens to be Father's Day. So I'm really um, thankful to be joined by a, a very hardworking <laughs> dad. And uh, he's not only a proud dad, he is the chef owner of 610 Magnolia, Milkwood, and Whiskey Dry in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, you may have seen him on his Emmy Award-winning PBS series, The Mind of a Chef. He's also the author of an acclaimed cookbook called Smoke and Pickles. And his latest book is an incredible culinary journey memoir, you could say, and uh, it is called Buttermilk Graffiti. So thanks so much for joining us, Chef Edward Lee. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking some time away. Um, so, you know, we talk a lot about the, the challenges of being, you know, a working mom today in America. But uh, what, what do you think is the biggest challenge for being a working dad? You know, it's um, trying to balance... Uh, you know, work and life and, and being a father, um, you know, just the, the, the days of like, uh, having a kid and then, uh, you know, passing it on to your wife to, to raise is like, is not the way we do things anymore, I guess. Mm. 
Um, so, you know, I, I, I try and be really involved in my kid's life and, 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 you know, we, and I make time, you know, I, I take time out of my, my work and my life to, um, make sure that, that, you know, we're a family and that we create memories and do fun things. And we were at the uh, blueberry picking yesterday. Oh, fun. In the blazing sun. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sunburned all over. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you found the time. Um, yeah. And do you guys cook now? Because your your little one is not too little. Oh, she's a she's okay. a great yeah. She's five. She's a okay. she's really into food. She's really good. I mean, she um she can do some pretty cool stuff at five. Um, she she knows flavors, and we wow. you know we cook a lot of omelets together. We bake a lot together. Um, she's very particular about her fish. We do um we go to the seafood market here in DC, okay. and 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 we get live uh, 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 crawfish, and um the only of course a daughter of a chef she instead those they become her you know play toys wow. so she, i just kind of set her up in, in, in the dining room table and she has like 30 crawfish that are her oh like gosh. little lego toys you know and she's a daughter of a chef when you say she's very particular about her fish <laughs> she's <Yeah>. five years old <laughs> so that's super fun um yeah thanks for, so much for taking the time on this father's day to chat about this amazing book but um before we get into it, it's been about a week um, mm-hmm. since Anthony Bourdain passed. And mm-hmm. uh, on the day that the news broke, um, you wrote a very moving essay on CNN.com. Um, I can only imagine how eager you must have been to honor um, his memory and his legacy. Um, what was that day like for you? Um, yeah, it was weird. It was... Uh... You know, it was weird because everyone was talking about suicide because of the Kate Spade um, thing. So it was mm-hmm. kind of, it was just a weird uh, discussion that was already sort of happening. And then, uh, I don't know, I woke up and my my, my wife uh, uh, told me, and then, you know, your, your initial reaction was, well, that's a hoax. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. I, I actually woke up one morning to an article that I was dead. Uh, so I was oh. like, you know, these things go around all the time. Really? Um, and uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's so, just um, you know, it just takes a while mm-hmm. for it to sink in, and 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 uh, it was just it was odd because I was um, I was actually writing I was in in the process of writing um, him a thank you note. Oh my gosh! Because um, he had written a uh, a nice blurb for for buttermilk graffiti. Yeah, and um, you know, I just like got done with book tour, and I was just kind of like. You know, sitting down and and and, uh, and and some of the stuff I had sort of had in my head because I was like, you know, we met many many years ago, and you've been always very nice to me. And I just wanted to write a thank you. Know, and when that happened, uh, I don't know. My agent was like, "Oh, CNN wanted to, you know, um, see if you had any opinions." And 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 I don't know. I just kind of, I just, you know, I it, I just sort of wrote that in, in like a half hour and, wow. and sent it off and. Um, it was interesting, and I really didn't have anything to, you know, like like all these people try to call me afterwards and wanted to do interviews and mm-hmm. stuff, and I just said, you know, I, I kind of said, and I, I really don't want it to be, um, you know, I think everyone has their own Anthony Bourdain story because he touched so many lives and meant so many different things to so many different people, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's uh, it, it's interesting to see that that outpouring of of love um i just don't think you get that 
you know, obviously under terrible circumstances, but you know, get that many people who who come out and and wow, yeah. are just universally adored that man and his talents. Um, it was just it, it was you know it was sad and beautiful at the same time. You know, whenever mm-hmm. something like that happens, that that. God, how many people came out and, 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 and just, you know, were in tears or remembrances and tributes. Yeah, it just that's that's a good way of putting it. Sad and beautiful and moving at the same time. Um, yeah. And it, it, it seems like um, his writing, is that an inspiration for you as a writer? Um, you know, in, in, in some form, everything he did was an inspiration for mm-hmm. me. Um, you know, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't model my career after his, but yeah. but for sure, I mean, you know, a chef who writes. There's there's not. <laughs> that's not a huge yeah, category. That's true. Yeah. Um. So so you know whether it's him or or Gabrielle or or you know anyone who sort of puts pen to paper. It, it to me, um, you know, we 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 lost a great one. Yeah. Um, well, your book is truly great, um, and uh, I want to talk a lot more about this because um, Buttermilk Graffiti. This is your first memoir, so um, before you had written a cookbook, but this one really is a is a travel memoir. It's mm-hmm. so it's travel writing, but also food writing. Um, I love the title. Um, you write that it's sort of like a, a combination of your upbringing in New York City, so graffiti, mm-hmm. and where you live now for the past fifteen years in the South. So it's very evocative. But um, for those who haven't checked out this book so far, um, you travel to some places uh, that most foodies wouldn't really have on their radar as like an amazing culinary destination, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm talking places like Dearborn, Michigan, Lowell, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, um, Mm -hmm. etc. And um, but what they do have in common is an amazing sort of emerging immigrant cuisine, which you mm-hmm. write about. Um, so, um, you know, the the subtitle is "A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine." Um, my first question is like, as a chef, um, why stick to America? I mean, you could have gone anywhere, right? Yeah, um, you know, the, to, to me. Right, so I'm I'm the uh, you know I'm the son of Korean immigrants, mm-hmm. and and you know I've lived in Brooklyn and I've lived in the American South, <coughs> and excuse me, I'm finding yep. a cold. <laughs> Bless you. Um, and I've always uh, you know I've always struggled with my identity um, as an American. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, you know, I don't mean struggle in like a terrible way, but but you know we we try and find um, our place in this narrative of American history, um, and so and, and equally so because I cook sort of Asian food and I cook Southern food, which um, you know there, there's a bit of a, a, a dichotomy there. Mm-hmm. So I'm always kind of thinking about well, where where do I fit into this narrative? You know, mm-hmm. who am I? And and the more I ask those questions of myself, the more I realize that everyone goes through that same conflict mm-hmm. or struggle or, or question. Um, where we do go, well, okay, who am I? And, and and maybe if you've been in this country for generations, you have a bit more of a um, you know a, a solid foundation on which to build on. Mm-hmm. But you also 
sort of look through history and you look at yourself and you look at, you know, um, you know, all the high I'm British, Scottish, French, Italian, okay, yeah. and, you know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of see those identities. And, and I think the big burning question for all Americans, um, because we are all from somewhere else, is, you know, who are we? What are we? Um, and, and I think those questions to me are fascinating mm-hmm. um, when you start to kind of peel back layers and you start to understand um, the, the identity crisis that we have. And you start to go, okay, well, you know, let's look at it from, you know, you can look at it from food or, or arts or history. or And I just tend to look at it from the lens of food because that's what I know best. And obviously that's, that's my passion. So, so when we, and it's also very revealing when you look at someone's, you know, food that they serve at the table, when you look at someone's diet, when you look at someone's legacy and their history, um, and especially immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they come over and they 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 lose everything right they lose mm-hmm. their their ties to their homeland they lose usually money they mm-hmm. lose you know sometimes their their you know their language even their their clothing you know yeah. everything about them they lose and for many of them the one thing that they hold on to very very uh, passionately is their food their recipes and that for for many of them are, are the traditions that connect them to the homeland and it's a very powerful um thing to be connected to so so like when when you know i go to that afghan restaurant um it's not just about the food like mm-hmm. i'm sort of you're getting a window into this person's culture and history and and is also his, his very own personal connection to to his homeland um and i found those that story to be really compelling yeah. and i just wanted to write a book about it yeah and the stories behind why why are they doing this you know what made them decide to open a restaurant um which is not mm-hmm. exactly the most you know definite slam dunk uh, way to make money um you know th- these stories that you capture are fascinating um, one thing I want to point out is that you you seem to also capture this really um, evolving, this ephemeral snapshot of a cuisine in a certain time and place that is bound to change. Because um, mm-hmm. you, you write, you know, in one chapter about going to a Uyghur restaurant in Brighton Beach, mm-hmm. um, which is a place very close to where you grew up in Canarsie. Um, but you write, you know... Um, how long before the children of Yusef, who is the chef um, of this place, decide that the Lagman soup needs to be more mainstream? Um, do, you, do you think that essentially um, the story of all cuisines that are more established in America sort of becomes more mainstream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it does. And, and, and I like the, the way you described the snapshot because it... it you know, this thing is in constant motion. Um, and it's one of the things that I've always found about food and, and about food writing and, and history that, um, you know, we're, we're trying to do something impossible, mm-hmm. um, which is we're trying to capture a moment in time as it's actually changing at the very moment that we're writing about it. Um, if anything, there's nothing in food that stays the same for very long. Um, and so... You know, when I wrote this book, it it is you know a, a snapshot of of America and what I thought 
you know, our cuisine looked like in 2017 in all these small towns across America. And, and you know, for every time we gain something, we lose something. Right. right? So, so, so when that, you know, traditional, uh, um, you know, Chinese dish becomes uh, more accessible, uh-huh. to Americans and and maybe the business starts going better uh-huh. and there's more customers and and they get a website and <laughs> you know they start promoting themselves on Facebook um they lose something too okay. um and and the question is i guess is is the gain worth the loss um i i never believe that it's an improvement or a or a desecration you know it's just like things change you can't you can't be you know, you can't be afraid of the future, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, you try and preserve the past as, as best you can. Right. Um, and and America's the you know in in many ways, America's still the wild wild west, right? Mm-hmm. We, we can't, like a, there are things being done to Korean food in America that you just would not do in Korea, or or it evolves in maybe a different way. Um, mm. But you know, I I rem- you know I always tell the story of like. You know, I don't know. I think I was in L.A. or Chicago, and and eating a, uh, a bibimbap wrapped in a burrito, uh-huh. and and you know every ounce of my identity and being wanted to hate this thing, <laughs> and I bit into it and I was like, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, this is right. it's a pretty good lunch. <laughs> um, and so we we you know we tend to sort of scoff at at, at some things. Mm. Well, at the same time, we sort of applaud other innovations. Um, unfortunately, you know, history doesn't work like that. It just keeps evolving. It just keeps pushing and pressing on. And, and you know, we're kind of at the mercy of it. And, mm-hmm. and we sort of have to, like, look at it as, as a whole. And, and um, you know, I was, I was very, um, you know, it's a, most of the chapters are about, um, sort of new or recent immigrants uh, mm-hmm. coming into the country, but there are a couple of chapters on on much older um, um, established immigrants, right? So I, I talk Pepe's. about German food okay. mm-hmm. and and what happened to German food? What happened to this incredibly complex, beautiful, delicious cuisine um, that has just kind of gone away? And and we don't have the great German chef, and we don't have the great German restaurants um, that we should. So that's um, an example of loss. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So there's pros and cons. Um, uh, well, it's time for a quick little commercial interlude, but I want to talk a lot more about this subject right when we're, right when we're back. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso sherry buds. My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso sherry butts. They're the large sherry uh, barrels that have been used. And then the, uh, the whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, the copper pot still makes for extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, every time I have a sip, I, I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for the Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com.
All right, we're back chatting more with Chef Edward Lee and Dad Edward Lee. Um, happy Father's Day again. And uh, his latest book is called Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine. Um, so, Chef, you were just talking about how it, the evolution of ethnic cuisines in America is always happening um, in different stages with, as, as you explore in this book with newer immigrants all the time. Um, but um, where do you sort of draw the line between um, uh, taking, you know, you write that as a chef, you're always sort of mining for, for traditions from other cultures and making them more palatable in your mm. cooking. Um, is there a point where that is done in bad taste, in your opinion? Well, it's always done. It, it, it's always done in, in bad taste, and and, and that's the you know the, the doing something in good good or bad taste is just one person's opinion, right? So yeah. Um, when I go to my friend's restaurant and I wait for him to go to the bathroom, and then I rifle through his recipe books and steal <laughs> his recipes, like that's in bad taste. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway because I want the damn recipes. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's it's um, you know, sort of culinary preparation is, is something that we throw around a lot, and, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, you know, so I, I have two opinions about it. Um, you know, I get it, and, and and I think what what I see, especially in in these um, stories that I wrote about. Um, again, you know, you, these immigrants come over and they lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they lose so much and they sacrifice Families, so much. Yeah. And, and for for many of them, the the one thing they get they get to claim as their own, the one thing they get to hold so Ooh, dearly yeah. um, that goes back generations are these recipes and are these traditions and are these foods. Um, and then next thing you know, you know, someone's got a, a taco truck, right? And, and, and they're sort of abusing the tradition. And so I understand how frustrating uh, that can be. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, all food is culturally appropriated. All mm-hmm. food, every, everything that you've ever put in your mouth it's came inevitable. from some other mm-hmm. place. Um, you know, all arts are culturally appropriated. You know, we, we, as human beings, we are naturally curious mm-hmm. and we go out and we explore and we travel and we eat and we, you know, you can say, you say appropriate, I say influence, you know, we're influenced right. by, by so many things and we come back and, and it's our natural desire to sort of be inquisitive and, and, and share and stuff, you yeah. know, do you, do you want to do it in good taste? Yeah. Is everyone <laughs> going to be? Doing it in no. good taste, no. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you can't stop progress, right. and you can't stop um, things being culturally influenced by each other. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you live in a neighborhood that is predominantly Latino, you are going to be influenced by that culture. It is impossible not to. Um, and so, when you start to to cook that food, you know, I I moved down to. Louisville, Kentucky, 16 years ago from, from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not cook Southern food for at least a year okay. uh, or was using any kind of Southern ingredients for at least a year or two um, when I moved to, to the American South. But it is impossible when you're surrounded by country ham and you're surrounded by sorghum, you're surrounded by all these different traditions, it's impossible to go, well, I'm just going to block that out <laughs> and just cook in isolation. 
Um, so, so whether one person may call it culturally appropriating, another person may just say, "Listen, that's a, that's a natural osmosis of of, mm-hmm. of you know culture being passed through each other. Um, it just happens." Um, and so, you know, I, I was whenever people have a question about that, I get it. You know, yeah. it, it's something that we all have to work on, and hopefully, mm-hmm. we have meaningful dialogues and, and we exchange information in a truly meaningful and respectful way. Right. Um, but the alternative is um, what if you're only, what if you were only allowed to cook the food of your own ethnicity? Um, that would be that's boring. That's very limiting. Um, <laughs> you're very limiting. And, yeah. and that's the very definition of racism, right? Like mm. you can't do anything other than the, the the race that you're bo- you were born with. I mean, that's the very definition of of, mm-hmm. of sort of discrimination. And right. so, to me, yeah, you know, I I always liken it to to uh, uh, like documentaries or like you know, you look at any other popular culture thing, right? You have um, and at one point you have great shows like like you know Chef's Table and and you have uh, uh, Mind of a Chef, um, but at the same time you have you know the Kardashians. And, and sort of reality right. shows. Um, they're both kind of documentaries, you know, and, and so you have to take the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and for us as the public, you, you just get to choose, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just going to tune out that stuff. Um, you know, we, we have incredible versions of, of Mexican food um, mm-hmm. being, being sort of celebrated and elevated throughout the country, and we still have this thing called Taco Bell, that is like the best-selling Mexican restaurant in the country, yeah. um, if one even calls it Mexican. Um, and, and so, but we also have to accept that both exist in, in parallel worlds. Um, right. we, we can't also sort of, sort of sit on our um, high horse and, and only, you know, uh, uh, expect that the, the, the beautiful, meaningful, and, and, you know, respectful traditions are the ones that get passed on. Right. Um, there's also a whole other side to food that is... Um, you know, trash, but they exist. I mean, they, they, they fulfill a need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're going to sit on our hands and not try out something, but hopefully the good outweighs the bad and the ways that, you know, we've seen deliciousness evolve, um, through this process that you're describing, um, is hopefully all for the better eventually. Yeah. And it's, and, and, you know, I, I think to me, the biggest thing right now in, in, in a culture that we have that's, you know, meaningful and, 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 you know, sensitive and, and, and culturally we, we're very aware right. now more than ever. Um, but I do think that it, it's still really important for, for chefs especially to take risks mm-hmm. um, and, and to fail mm-hmm. and, and to make decisions that maybe aren't the best. But, you know, we, we that's how we grow. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, don't, we don't grow by taking the safe all the time like we, we go out there and we push and, and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes you're good like I, I would hate for anyone not to take uh, a, okay. a chance on something at the risk of offending one you know right. another person right. you're going to offend someone anyway regardless <laughs> and, and so I think um, as chefs as people in the food community we have to continue to explore and, and push on um, and, and not everyone's going to be happy with, with one you know your decisions Um but as as a community, mm-hmm. um, we you know we've we've gone this far, and, and we need to keep pushing on. Yeah, sounds like you're talking from a lot of experience as one of those sort of um, innovating chefs. Um, 
speaking of, you know, becoming a chef in this country, um, you write in one chapter that you you sort of had few role models who were cooking from their Asian heritage um, mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and, and I love this quote, so I just want to quote you. You write, I never understood why the Asian identity and the American identity had to be compartmentalized the way my Salisbury steak and apple pie were separated in my Swanson's dinner. I wanted to eat them all in one bite. Um, that's an excellent metaphor, but, um, do you think that this has changed somewhat today when we look at the landscape of, of Asian chefs in America? Yeah, I I think it's changed Mm -hmm. in leaps and bounds. Um, and, and it's incredible when you see, um, the evolution of a thing happen right before your eyes, (laughs) um, which, which I've just, I've just witnessed it, you know. And you're no doubt part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you're no doubt part of it too, right? Yeah, maybe. I, you know, I, I you know, I, I kind of look at it from, you know, e- either I'm within it, then I, I can't see sort of the forest for the trees. Um, but you know, <laughs> I, listen, I, I remember a time when I used this was used to be my biggest pet peeve, right? Because people would go, um, so like you're you're cooking Asian food, right? And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> What's Asian? That's an entire continent. <laughs> like, do I go up to you and go, hey, so you're like a European chef, right? Like, you just cook European food. Because um, you'd never say that. You'd never mm-hmm. go like, yeah, I'm an Occidental chef. You know, right. it's like, oh, I cook Italian food, I cook French food, I cook Spanish food. But, you know, like, you go in and, and, and you know, people would open restaurants and, and go like, Asia Grill. And I'm like, what does that mean? You have, you have, you know, 40 <laughs> countries in Asia and, you know, uh, and throw everything Which on a grill. grill? Um, yeah. to, to the point where we've come full circle and we've seen people go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to... Um, not only cook Chinese food, but I'm going to cook Szechuan food. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take that and I'm going to sort of um, blend it with, with different, um, you know, American ingredients. And, and we're going to sort of celebrate this whole thing. Um, and so it's it's gone full circle um, to, to you know, there's a, uh, a place in Lexington, Kentucky right now serving um, uh, Sri Lankan food. Um, which is a very specific yeah. um, place on the map, um, but also, you know, incorporating sort of uh, the produce of the American South. You know, like like that kind of stuff is so exciting to me. Um, and again, I always say, you can't cook Sri Lankan food in Lexington, not the way it is cooked in Sri Lanka, because you, right. you don't have the produce. You don't have the, it's not the same growing climate. Um, and so what you do is you, you make adjustments and you adapt. And, and, and you kind of improvise. Um, and that's when this food becomes no longer about Sri Lanka, but it actually becomes about Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. And I, and that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's to me is that's like, that's it. That's the most exciting kind of food that I, that I get into. Absolutely. Um, and I just, I'm so thankful for you providing recipes at the end of each of these chapters because they, the descriptions were just so mouthwatering. And uh, I definitely want to try some of these and, you know, some of these riffs that you've created on your own, too. Um, it looks like that's about all the time we have, t- unfortunately. But um, there's okay. so much more to talk about. Um, I hope everyone gets their hands on this book. Um, you know, from the the Cambodian restaurant you go to in Lowell, Mass, which I need to go to, to, you know, just right here in Brooklyn, Brighton Beach, and um, so many other locales. Uh, it's really exciting to see what's what may be in your town's backyard right now. So, um, so yeah, thanks so much for shedding light on those stories, Chef. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah. For, thank you for liking the book. Absolutely. <laughs> and I hope everyone checks it out. And uh, what are you cooking tonight for Father's Day? Or is somebody taking I'm not, you I'm out? I'm cooking. I'm, okay. I have to work brunch. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, it's Father's Day brunch, so <laughs> okay. I'm actually a little late. But, oh, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, I have to uh, work at the restaurant for brunch. And then, yeah, I'm just going to, like, literally... Um, I don't know, just eat leftovers. Or, <laughs> it's not very glamorous. I Have think my, 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 my wife and daughter will make me something, Aww. hopefully a cupcake. I've got a sweet tooth. Nice. So. Well, I hope that that turns out well, and thanks so much for joining us. Have a great Thank brunch you. service. And thanks, everyone, here at Heritage Radio. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Never had no loving like this before.